All right, Encima. So, why? Where's your tardy slip? Tardy slip. What are you talking about, man? Got to do burpees, bro. Yeah, you oh. got you got to run sprints after after the show. Eleven burpees. Wait, why? Well, I don't know. Well, you know why, sir? No, I don't. You, you want me to? Be, okay. So we have in a uh, nine a.m. start time. <laughs> yeah, I was here at eight fifty. He was in the posing room. Yeah, that makes I mean, sense. I was here. I was waiting for you guys. Mark he was, was here at like nine ten, checking out his double <laughs> bicep pose. <laughs> Okay, no, I'm lying. I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who do we got uh, on we today, Mark? We got Simland on today. Oh, hey, that sounds like he sounds like he might be here. That was quick. Yeah, Ching Chong. <laughs> <laughs> came flying. He came flying right in, sliding in. There he is. Hey, hey, there we go. This technology thing is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's the speed of lightning. That's right. Yeah, I saw um, you know a few uh, few of your YouTube videos and um, saw a lot of the stuff you've been talking about with fasting. And uh, my co-host over here, uh, Encima, has been messing around with some fasting as well. Quite often, doing eighteen to twenty hour fasts every day. I've messed around with a lot of different versions of intermittent fasting. Um, fasted recently for seventy two hours and. Played around with some stuff. Unfortunately, one of the videos I was watching of yours, I was uh, like in the middle of my fast realizing uh, how I messed it up a bunch of different times by like drinking too much coffee and some of those different things. But really excited to have you on the show here because uh, there's a lot of confusion about fasting, which doesn't seem like it's even possible because you just don't eat food. But people have a lot of questions and they're trying to figure out the best way uh, to hack their fasting. So how, let's just kind of start out with, um, how did you get into this uh, topic in the first place of fasting? Yeah, well, uh, well, I kind of first found about it first in the uh, high school. And at that time I was like lifting, starting to like get into weightlifting. And um, I think I saw like the first videos about it were from uh, Hodge twins, which are also like really, uh, they're pretty big like bodybuilders and uh, have a bunch of muscles. So if they were saying that, they're doing some form of intermittent fasting and they're not losing muscle and they're actually being able to lean down very easily. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to try it myself. And uh, the first kind of method that I stumbled upon was uh, the lean gains method, which is like just fasting for 16 hours and eating your food within eight, eight hours. And uh, I kind of stuck with that for uh, the following several weeks, several years. And uh, during that time, like I didn't lose strength and I was still able to like progress even as like a novice lifter uh, at that time. And now I've been doing it for up to like uh, seven to eight years uh, quite quite consistently and tried out different methods, the extended fasts, uh, doing like the warrior diets and uh, doing one meal a day and different types of fasting. So yeah, so, so far it's, I've, I've kind of realized that it's very like a powerful strategy for uh, both your health as well as like even just the kind of relationship with food because a lot of people fear that it's going to mess up their like uh, their eating habits and they actually develop some sort of disorders. But in my in my in my in my opinion in my, in my uh, own example, I can say that it's actually like the opposite. It, everything has kind of <laughs> gotten better. I find the warrior diet to be really fascinating, and that guy was talking about. Uh, fasting yeah. and eating once a day, um, probably what twenty years ago. Mm. Something yeah, like, like that, I right? think he wrote the book. 
in like the early 2000, uh, 2000, something like that. And yeah, he's, he's been doing like the author of the word at Ori Hofmeckler. He's been doing it uh, for like several decades. And he was like the OG, in my opinion, uh, who really brought it into like mainstream uh, nutritional ice. Is that how you eat? You eat about like once a day type of deal? Yeah, like I think I would characterize myself as yeah, doing some form of the warrior diet. And uh, I do eat like once a day, uh, but uh, I kind of break my fast a bit sooner, sooner than just, you know, once a day. Uh, I may have on some days, I may have like some bone broth. Uh, on some days, I may have like a protein shake during the workout or something like that, uh, just to kind of support the physical activity, so to say. Like it's very, still like very, you know, difficult to reach, you know, the top end performance uh, with uh, like resistance training if you're like fasting all the time. So that I kind of implement these different strategies, uh, such as like, you know, br- having some bone broth or some other calories in, in myself. But most of the time, I'm still kind of confining the uh, time window that I consume my calories. If someone's doing like a two day fast or three day fast, should they work out at all? Um, depends on, uh, yeah, like what's, what's their goal and, uh, what are their, like, I don't think it's like mandatory to be working out during these longer fasts because you're already burning a bunch of uh, body fat and you don't need to put like additional stress on yourself. Uh, but what, what I find is that sometimes it's good to have like some easier, very easy, you know, some still, you want to still move around. You don't want to like lay on the couch all the time and, uh, maybe doing some form of yoga or some like, uh, resistance band workouts, something easy to kind of stimulate the muscle. I, I find that's actually helps to uh, get through the fast because uh, you'll be like getting yourself some like a good pump and uh, you also get like some additional energy boost. So I would say that although it's not necessary to be working out on these longer fasts, it sometimes can be useful and uh, kind of get away or like go through the fast uh, easier. You know, other than the long-term benefits or the the benefits of being in a caloric deficit for a long time with these longer-term fasts, I know that you go into a lot of like deeper ideas in terms of fasting, in terms of autophagy, et cetera. What are some other real good benefits of long-term fasts that people may want to think of? And how often do you think people can be doing these longer-term three- to seven-day fasts per year? Mm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like a, f- a few things uh, such as like caloric, caloric restriction and mm-hmm. autophagy and those things. And um, like most of the health benefits of fasting uh, are actually tied to the process of autophagy. So autophagy is the clearance of uh, these uh, old and dysfunctional cell organelles and mitochondria and all this waste material that you know inevitably accumulates into yourself. And uh, like aging itself is accompanied by the accumulation of that waste material. And with autophagy, you can kind of keep yourself in check and uh, consistently eliminate them. And even like the, you know, one of the few known ways of promoting longevity and increasing lifespan in other species is caloric restriction is one of the few known ways of uh, doing it. And uh, actually autophagy is the kind of central component to that effect. Like for instance, in some studies, when uh, mice are genetically modified in a way that they don't get autophagy, they don't activate autophagy, even when they are starving, then those mice, they don't live longer uh, despite eating fewer calories. And uh, those mice that are like normal, they get autophagy when they are, you know, starving, then those mice will live longer because of autophagy. And, you know, it's been replicated in yeast and other, other uh, life forms as well. Mm-hmm. So the goal, in my opinion, with intermittent fasting is to, uh, kind of optimize the process of autophagy and uh, activate it 
And, you know, there is, it's true that there is some basal autophagy happening almost all the time throughout the 24-hour period, like, you, you know, especially during sleep and during exercise even. And uh, whenever you're not eating in between meals, you're probably dipping in and out of it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the goal, the goal should be somewhat to kind of find this optimal dose um, what kind of suits your requirements? Uh, you know, I would imagine that for healthy people who are exercising all the time and eating a clean diet, then for them, they will naturally need less autophagy because they're healthier already. And at the same time, they will be able to go into autophagy much more efficiently and faster as well because they don't have like a bunch of this junk and uh, like uh, they don't have like a wrecked up metabolism mm-hmm. that would you know, slow down the process of going into autophagy. But to answer your group question, like how often should you fast? That's the, yeah, depends again on the goals and uh, what, the, what the person can do in terms of their, like how, how often do they train and what's their intensities? Yeah. Do they need to be eating frequently because of, you know, maybe some professional um, uh, physique goals or such. Uh, but at the same time, I think me personally, I think the golden rule would be to have a few a few of these like longer than 24 hour fasts a few times a, a year and uh, like one of the kind of implications with that is that although you may you may be having like a really long fast like a 10 day fast once a year if you're eating like garbage the rest of the year then you're not really doing uh, much benefit to yourself so i think that more consistent shorter fasts even like 24 hours up to 48 hours those would be much b- better uh, than going for like really long fasts and then not fasting at all the rest mm-hmm. of the time because you will be you'll be like tapping into the autophagy zone and the therapeutic zone much more frequently. Have you ever added up the hours that you fast? Like, because um, something that you pointed out in one of your videos, which I thought was really interesting, you talked about um, basically kind of what you just said right there, where somebody might fast for forty eight hours or twenty four hours, and that's great, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of uh, it's very productive. But if you just fast 14 hours every day or 16 or 18 hours every day uh, and you do that for a few weeks, that'll be way more fasting than doing a 72-hour fast. Can you kind of elaborate on that and what's the advantage of that? Yeah, like like I said, like I think shorter but more frequent fasts are better because you'll be staying in the fastest state for longer and ultimately you're going to end up with uh, longer, like higher amounts of hours throughout the year. Uh, For instance, if you're just having a seven-day fast, maybe once a year, then you're going to end up with seven days of fasting uh, for the entire year. Uh, On someone else who's doing more fasting, maybe they have a three-day fast. Every quarter of the year, they're going to get like 12 to 15 hours of of days of fasting. But but someone who is doing, for instance, maybe like a 48-hour fast, every other week or even like once a week, then then they're going to get like up to 30 to 60 days of fasting. So if you compare, you know, those, uh, those days of fasting, then of course I would say, uh, the, you know, the longer fast may be more effective in terms of like going into very deep ketosis and activating a lot of autophagy, but at the same time, it's not that frequent and uh, consistency is probably more important uh, for that. And at the same time, like, uh, there, there will be like a point of diminishing returns you experience with the health benefits of autophagy. Like after a while, you kind of max out uh, even on those uh, longer fasts and it's, it will be better to kind of break the fast, refeed properly, give yourself the proper nourishment and then have like another one down the road. So you're, you're kind of having it more uh, consistently. 
Yeah, basically, if you even fast just 12 hours for two days, that's 24 hours of fasting, right? So it, it, yeah. mathematically, you can end up with a nice amount of fasting. However, uh, some of the health benefits that you're talking about in terms of autophagy and things like that, they those things don't really tend to kick in uh, until you get into more like an 18-hour plus fast. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It is true that you know um, you you don't start to fast immediately after you stop eating. Like it's gonna take at least a few hours before your body burns through those calories, and then it's going to shift into like the fast state. So even if people are you know like fasting for sixteen hours, then metabolically on the physiological level they may be fasting only for like fourteen or twelve hours because they have to like first digest it the foods uh, with which with which they like started their fast. So yeah, uh, I would say that you know the the idea of how fast you get into autophagy that depends a lot on what kind of a diet you follow and how metabolically flexible you are. So um, someone who is able to go into ketosis faster, someone who doesn't consume excess amounts of calories, then for them it's gonna take much less time to get into like the healthier zone of autophagy. Do you do anything in particular um, going into a fast? Like, let's just say uh, you had a couple days where maybe you didn't, you know, eat what you eat what you normally eat. Uh, do you go into a very low carb diet, keto style diet, and then go into a fast? Uh, with with uh, like the low carb keto diet, then uh, the idea that you're restricting your carbs that can help you to get into the therapeutic zone of autophagy faster because one of the things that regulates autophagy are things like insulin and your liver glycogen as well. So um, in theory, you could accelerate the process by eating keto a few days before that because um, that's going to essentially enable you to get into ketosis faster when you start the fast as well as go into autophagy. So what I recommend people to do is that even just because of the fact that ketosis helps you to fast more easily, then I recommend people to like have maybe one to two days before starting any longer fast to um, eat a very low carb keto diet, just so their body could get used to like burning fat and that they wouldn't get like the these or the withdrawal symptoms of uh, stopping eating carbs. You know, I'm curious because you you mentioned therapeutic zone in terms of autophagy, and I know you made a whole book called Meta Metabolic Autophagy. I haven't read it yet, but I'm pretty sure it goes into a lot of these details. Now, what exactly do you mean by the therapeutic zone of autophagy? And also, along with that, I feel like uh, when we hear about all the benefits of autophagy, right, uh, we might try and go down that rabbit hole a little bit too deep. Are there any negatives trying to chase this, like trying to chase more autophagy? Mm. Yeah, well, um, first of all, yeah, like uh, I would say, yeah, there are like, when you first people hear about autophagy, then they think it's like the best thing ever, yeah. and they want to activate it to the max for the rest of their life. But uh, the truth is that I, I have actually made several videos about it as well, where I talk about that there are many negative side effects to autophagy, such as like maybe the easiest one is that you you may potentially just lose some muscle mass, which in turn can accelerate aging and uh, has like negative effect on longevity. But there are actually a lot of studies showing that the the process of autophagy can actually strengthen uh, some cancer cells and tumor cells as well. Uh, just because not not that autophagy itself is like trying to give you cancer or something, it's just that the process of autophagy itself 
it won't tell the difference objectively between what's bad and good. It's just the process of uh, cellular turnover during which you're like recycling some cellular material and debris. And uh, just because of that, some cancer cells are really sneaky and they will just steal that some of the energy that you're creating during autophagy. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that autophagy is the best thing for actually treating certain cancers and tumors. It will be much, much more of looked at something as a disease uh, preventative thing that you kind of keep yourself healthy consistently mm. and uh, making sure that your cells are being uh, recycled, recycled properly. But it's not like the best thing uh, for like actually treating cancers. Uh, with the therapeutic zone of autophagy, uh, there are you know many, many aspects of uh, disease that you can kind of predict in your, uh, let's say, uh, b- blood blood results or like what kind of energy is burning through your bloodstream at that particular moment. And we already, you know, you probably also heard that the ketogenic diet has many therapeutic benefits, mm-hmm. especially for epilepsy and uh, actually yeah, using it for treating cancer and such. So uh, one of the cancer researchers, Thomas Seyfried, has, you know, uh, created this 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 measurement to look at the person's like metabolic health during a fast or during a ketogenic diet and it's called the glucose ketone index and it basically shows the relationship between your blood ketones and the blood glucose so if your blood ketones are very high and your blood glucose is very low then that's an indication of a very high level of ketosis and uh, that can be indirectly used to look at how much autophagy are you getting as well like there are no real in real time, uh, like measurement tools you can use to measure autophagy, uh, but it can be indirectly looked at by using the glucose ketone index. And usually, for instance, if I'm fasting for about three days, then my ketones tend to be somewhere around three to four millimoles, and my blood sugar is, you know, very low, around 50 to 60 milligrams per deciliter. And if you kind of do the calculations, the glucose ketone index formula is, is a base, you, I, uh, you, you, you uh, divide uh, the amount of ketones you have with your glucose, and that's, that's going to essentially give you uh, the, the score. And, and the lower your glucose ketone index, the higher uh, zone of ketosis are you at, and that can also show you that there's uh, more autophagy happening. Do you test your own blood often? Uh, I don't do it that frequently. Like uh, I may use it sometimes if I'm doing some sort of an experimentation, but uh, I don't see like a much. I don't see like a much uh, reasons for doing it like every day or something. Maybe once a week would be okay, but I tend to do it maybe like once a month or something. How can somebody utilize fasting just to simply manage their weight? Like uh, you know, never mind kind of the autophagy and some of the other great benefits that it has. What are some recommendations that you would give somebody who just wants to be leaner or just wants to drop 10, 20 pounds? Hmm. Well, like you said in the beginning, it sounds very simple and you just stop eating. <laughs> but uh, in turn, that's, that can be like an easy way to uh, burn some uh, more body fat. And uh, I think the, you know, it's, it's, you know, calories still matter and you can't e- eat unlimited amount of calories if you're even even if you're fasting so uh, the goal is to uh, restrict your calories but with some form of fasting you can find it easier to stick to a lower calorie diet 
and uh, kind of confine yourself in a certain time frame where you have like less time to mess things up and you get more satiation from eating fewer foods. So for instance, yeah, there are like, different ways of going about it, like like the ex- extended fasts, like three-day fasts or two-day fasts. Those are pretty good for dropping a lot of body fat really fast. Uh, but at the same time, even just like one meal a day, like there are many people online who are doing the one meal a day for fat loss and uh, they're kind of seeing great results from it. So there are m- many ways of going about it. But yeah, the starting point would be to see of uh, what can I stick to consistently and uh, how, how much you know food am I being, how, how, or how little food am I able to eat while still being able to uh, you know, work out and uh, stick to it consistently. I noticed a lot of people uh, really benefit, um, you know, just from even just just even minor amounts of fasting. Because from a lot of the people I've worked with, they seem to just have trouble with control. Like that's the main problem. And and like you said, you said it uh, perfectly. They have less time to mess things up. And I think that that mm-hmm. can really be effective for somebody. So maybe somebody who's listening to this, it's like. Maybe just, I don't know, if you're not used to it and you really like to eat, <laughs> you know, maybe try a 12-hour fast or 14-hour fast. Yeah. Ease your way into it and see if there's something that you can build up uh, with some form of uh, consistency. The odd thing mm. that I find, and and let me know if you've uh, found this to be true with people that you've helped, uh, do you find it easier for people to simply not eat? Because that's what I've found. Um, yeah, I think... Uh there is some truth to that, that once you get used to fasting and you're actually in the fasted state, then uh, it is somewhat easier to continue fasting because you already kind of overcame the initial hurdles and your body has become more uh, in tuned and more adaptable to the fasting. So, uh, for instance, I myself would much rather continue fasting for, you know, maybe like an additional 24 hours rather than consume some you know unhealthy food at an airport or something or have like a very small meal that wouldn't satiate me that, that much and instead would give me like additional cravings or something so yeah in some situations i think it's easier to carry on with the fast especially if you're or you've already fasted for like a significant amount uh, but at, at other times um some people you know, for them, they, they, if they do even just some form of like a partial fasting or they do something like the fasting mimicking diet that helps them to keep on fasting for longer by, you know, having a small meal, then I think that would be still much more beneficial and much more, you know, op- optimal uh, than not fasting at all. How long have you found that, because I mean, you've been doing fasting for years now, so obviously you've dealt with a lot of people that are picking up fasting and you've seen a lot of struggles. So I feel like a lot of people, when they start doing intermittent fasting, uh, they are trying to find a light at the end of the tunnel to, to understand how long it's going to take them to get used to this, to get used to the feeling of hunger, um, to get used to the, like, just get used to the habit of not eating. And a lot of them quit a little bit too early because they're like, ah, this is too hard. I want to eat and I want to eat often. How long have you found on average that it takes someone to get used to fasting for prolonged periods of time? When I say prolonged, I mean, you know, 16 to 20 hours, not multiple day fast. Is there like, is there a, a time that people can look for? Uh, I think it depends on where the person is coming from and uh, how healthy they are. So, for instance, someone who is used to eating like six meals a day and they're eating like the standard American diet, then of course that's going to 
take much more longer for their body to get used to it uh, just because they probably haven't you know, tapped into ketosis in a long time and their body is very metabolically inflexible. But for someone who is doing like maybe like a paleo diet, they're eating, you know, they're, they're not completely keto, but they're still having some carbs. They're not overdoing the calories. Then for them, it's going to take a uh, much shorter time to get used to it. In my own example, uh, when I first started, uh, you know, in high school, then I was doing like some form of a modified form of a paleo. I was still eating carbs. I was still eating, you know, starches, but I was uh, primarily like whole foods based and uh, high, higher in protein already. So that for me was somewhat easier to transition into the 16 and 8 type of fasting. Uh, but after, e- even though at that point I was still kind of, uh, it was harder for me to fast for like 20 hours or 24 hours on that type of a template on a, like a moderate carb diet. But after going keto, then I no- I noticed on keto, it's e- easier to fast because uh, you're already very, uh, used to using fat as a primary fuel source. And uh, when you're not eating, you're skipping meals and you're fasting, then you're literally going to tap into deeper ketosis. And that's like, you know, literally pouring gasoline on a fire and <laughs> you're starting to really uh, use your own body fat for fuel. So there's not going to be much difference between eating keto and staying in a fast state. So there's definitely like different degrees of how fast uh, you will be able to get used to the fasting but in general, the kind of healthier you are, the more exercise you do, and uh, the you know the, the the more controlled amount of carbs you eat, then the easier it's gonna be. Yeah, you you know what's really crazy? You mentioned that you started fasting in high school, and when I was in high school, mm. like that would have been the, I was the opposite. I was like, I want to get big. I'm gonna eat all the time, <laughs> right? So <laughs> for you, I'm wondering because. A lot of people, especially like younger guys, uh, when they hear about fasting, they think about, you know, muscle breakdown. They, they think that they can't get big. And I've seen some of your pictures. You're, you're pretty damn jacked. So my question to you is how were you able to or what did you structure your fast like so that you could still gain muscle over time? Because I can assume that you were, you were trying to gain muscle and you were also fasting. How did you structure it? Right. Uh, well, over this over this time period, I've gained maybe like 15, 10 to fifteen pounds of uh, like lean muscle. I haven't tried to deliberately bulk, and it's been primarily I would say it's primarily the result of uh, like progressive overload and uh, sticking consistently to uh, like a resistant training routine. So the main driver of muscle growth, in my opinion, is just like the stimulus, the physical stimulus, and uh, that can be done by you know just focusing on getting stronger. And uh, even like adding some hypertrophy work into the mix. So that's been always my kind of focus. I've never tried to go on these crazy bulks and uh, or dirty bulks, especially because I think they're not going to be worth it. You know, you're mm-hmm. going to have to just cut down. So I've always kind of proponed the kind of lean, lean uh, bulking approach. Uh, but uh, with that being said, I would say that it's, it's also a matter of timing your meals properly with the uh, training and um, w- with the 16 and 8 method, I was always training in a low-carb state. And uh, I was in the post-workout scenario, I would really try to stimulate the growth pathways that promote uh, muscle growth. And uh, w- one of the most important ones for that is the, is the mammalian target of rapamycin, which is, is short for mTOR. And mTOR is the kind of opposite of autophagy. So autophagy is the catabolic breakdown pathway but mTOR is the anabolic growth pathway. 
So uh, after coming from a fast, then I don't want to stay in the autophagy zone. I want to actually stimulate the mTOR. And the way I do that is uh, primarily consuming more protein, uh, specifically like protein that has leucine because leucine is the main uh, amino acid that drives protein synthesis. So I would always eat like a bunch of eggs, some meat. And if I were to be eating carbs, then I would also combine the carbs with the protein because uh, carbs plus protein is going to result in a higher uh, anabolic response and uh, it's going to drive protein synthesis higher. Uh, nowadays, nowadays, when I'm doing like the, some form of a one meal a day type of diet, then I still want to uh, minimize the amount of muscle breakdown that occurs during the fasting period. Like uh, it is true that you will be, you know, slightly on the catabolic side when you're fasting, but whether or not it's going to result in muscle loss, that depends on the, you know, the balance between muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown over the course of the 24-hour period. So although I'm fasting, uh, the, the, amount, the, the small amount of muscle catabolism that occurs during that time, it's, it's made up for by the amount of uh, muscle protein synthesis that I experience during my eating window. So that's why you, don't, you shouldn't think of uh, fasting or you shouldn't think of breaking the fast as something that should carry on with the fast. Like you want to actually, yeah, really make yourself really anabolic by consuming more protein and carbs sometimes and uh, kind of making sure that you train, you know, train with enough intensity at the gym as well. Well, on that note, no, I was just going to ask him because you said, uh, you said something that it's almost like a unicorn in some uh, circles. You said a lean bulk. Um, when you're doing something like that, what is your, um, like the amount of calories that you're taking in? Hmm. Um, I would say that it's always somewhat around maintenance, uh, but on on the days that I actually work out, then on those days I would increase my calories maybe three hundred to five hundred calories, and uh, on on maybe like rest days I would drop those calories a little bit just to balance itself out. So you don't need like a bunch of a bunch of extra calories to achieve like a positive nitrogen balance and to build muscle you just want like you just want a little bit of extra calories just to support the growth and you then let your body do the rest so i i haven't you know because the after a certain point of extra calories then you're only gonna start promoting fat gain instead of uh promoting muscle growth so yeah like even just 300 to 500 calories i think is the most you can uh, do do you achieve some of this through just like a post-workout shake or something like that uh, yeah, you could take like uh, some form of a protein shake after workout, uh, but uh, what I found is actually it's in my own experience I've seen more results from taking like a protein shake uh, be either before the workout or during the workout. So, like I said, you know you are being somewhat catabolic during the fasting period, and uh, it is true that fasted training will cause more muscle breakdown uh, if you're training hard. So to minimize that, I will take like one scoop of uh, protein powder and either drink it, you know, immediately before working out or during the workout. So that would give me like some additional amino acids uh, that my body would uh, use to uh, alleviate the muscle breakdown. So I've, I've seen that that's been, that's been like a pretty big uh, game changer for someone who is trying to build muscle on like a one meal a day diet or a warrior diet. So if you're always training in a fasted state, then that's probably going to end up with additional muscle loss. But if you take like that protein shake uh, during the workout, 
then you're kind of sidestepping that completely and you're getting like the sufficient uh, protein and amino acids even during the workouts. Have you ever played around with, you know, amino acids like uh, essential amino acids or branch chain? Uh, yeah, they can be useful for uh, like, uh, you know, intra-workout shake or something, but they wouldn't be very useful like during the actual fast because uh, they may like um, interfere with some of the autophagy benefits because the amino acids will uh, raise mTOR a little bit and that's going to interfere with autophagy. So the only time you would maybe want to take those BCAs or amino acids would be like during a workout when you're already like breaking down your muscle. And at that point, it doesn't really matter whether or not you, you know, stop autophagy or not. So you like when you're training and you're, you're fasted or you actually have your protein shake, a lot of people are concerned because, you know, you hear that if you have even protein feedings throughout the day, muscle protein synthesis is much higher than if you have like one or two protein feedings, which you typically do when you're fasted. Is that not much of a concern because of all of the other benefits that come along with fasting in terms of like the increase of growth hormone and all that other stuff? Or is that still something you're thinking about? Um, I would, you know, the, the idea that you need to have like very small, frequent meals of uh, protein throughout the entire day that comes, that comes from the idea that you need only like 30 grams of protein to maximize protein synthesis in one mm-hmm. sitting. So uh, it, doesn't re- it doesn't really tell you like how much protein you end up absorbing from one meal. So um, it is true that if you want to maximize your muscle growth, you know, to the fullest then having more frequent consumptions of protein will end up in more frequent spikes in muscle protein synthesis, and that may lead to like more muscle growth. But uh, even if you spike your muscle protein synthesis like once a day or twice a day, then uh, your, you know, your muscle growth rate would be maybe a little bit slower, but the end result, uh, you know, after several years, there's not going to be much difference from that. Uh, because you're still, you, you will be still able to absorb a lot of the protein, even if you do it like in, like uh, within a small time frame. Your body will just slow down the uh, the absorption rate of that protein, and you may even have like a more sustainable release of those amino acids into your bloodstream, like throughout the entire like several hours after eating. So I think there's not going to be much difference, uh, but for like optimal results, you would maybe need. You know, yeah, you could you could take like six meals a day, but for most people, there's not going to be that much difference between like two meals or six meals. Mm. It, the idea is that with one meal a day, you would probably not be able to like you know see significant muscle growth unless you're using some form of like a protein shake, or unless you're having like an additional meal before before that. What are some things that people should be concerned about while fasting? Um, I know for myself, you know, adding some salt to some water and some things like that have helped. Uh, what are some things that people should really be keeping their eye on if they're going to do 24, 48 hour, 72 hour fast? Uh, yeah, like the salts and electrolytes are really critical because, you know, sometimes people feel lethargic and tired, not because of their fasting, but because of their like electrolyte deficiencies and imbalances. So um, those things can be actually made worse with things like drinking too much coffee, uh, drinking too much water, (laughs) those things, they may simply uh, make the person excrete their electrolytes. And uh, yeah, adding just a little bit of salt into their water can um, avoid that. Some additional things would be to just 
be mindful of uh, how adapted you are to the fasting, so to say. So there isn't going to be any like trophies for people who fast the longest or people who who uh, skip the most meals. You just have to look at how well is your body able to handle it. And if you f- if you start to feel lethargic and you feel like passing out or something, then yeah, it would be like easier to you know break the fast and you know try next. Try try again the next time in, instead of uh, grinding your face through and actually maybe damaging your health in the process. So yeah, I think with, with fasting there tends to be like this all all in uh, approach for most people. Uh, either people don't fast at all, or if they do fast, they fast too much too often and uh, they see, start to see some negative side effects. And maybe like additional negative side effects would be uh, that they start to either lose a bit too much muscle uh, or they just maybe start to show symptoms of fatigue all the time, uh, symptoms of low thyroid, etc. So uh, that's that's usually caused by just staying at a fasted state uh, for too long, too frequently. And the way you kind of deal with that would be to make sure that you actually nourish yourself for every once in a while. Just, you know, the, the cycles of feasting and famine those will be those. Those will be something that uh, are more more preferential for everyone's health. Have you messed yourself up with fasting before? <laughs> well, I think there have yeah probably been some. I haven't like any serious negative health side effects or anything like that. But I would say maybe sometimes, um, you know, if I were to if I were to go on a fast like a longer fast uh, after not prepared myself with keto before then i would notice like okay i i actually feel lightheaded sometimes etc but if i make sure that my electrolytes on point uh, i make sure that i'm not drinking like coffee all the time then everything should be just fine do you fast every day uh not 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 all the time like i may have like a few days uh, i try to have maybe one day of the week where I'm not doing like some form of fasting, I have I break my fast. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe have like two, two, two meals one day of the week, and at the other times I'm just I'm just kind of used to it, and I use it almost like a productivity hack as well to kind of keep myself mentally clear in the morning parts, and uh, I'll you know start having some calories only in the later part of the day. What would you suggest for individuals that are uh, kind of concerned with the slowing down of their metabolism over time? Because I mean, yeah, if you have a slower metabolism, it just means you're more efficient with the food you're eating. But mm-hmm. if you're fasting every single day for a prolonged period of time, it can slow down. So what are some strategies that individuals can do uh, so that they can make sure that it doesn't slow down too much? Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think most of the reason or the biggest reason why uh, metabolic adaptation occurs is because of the uh, overall amount of calories a person eats. Mm -hmm. For instance, you can have like a super fast metabolism and get away with eating a lot of food. Um, If you, if you consume actually, you know, if you're able to metabolize that many calories. So the biggest problem is that metabolic adaptation occurs with fasting has to do with people dropping their calories too much, too fast as well. So they either like don't get that hungry or they deliberately try to stick to like very uh, low calorie foods like they eat you know kale and uh, broccoli <laughs> only and that's not naturally going to reduce their total calories for the day and uh, that's one of the reasons they get you know the slow metabolism eventually so the way you avoid that is to actually when you like I said earlier when you break the fast 
you don't want to think about carrying on with the fast. You want to think about how do I actually nourish my body and uh, give myself the nutrients that support anabolism and support muscle growth. Uh, for, and for that, you know, protein, carbs, uh, some fish, eggs, those things are like the most nutrient-dense and most nourishing foods. So if, because like, if you think about it in a way that if you're fasting and your total amount of um, like the meal frequency is somewhat lower, then the nutrient density and the caloric density of those meals also has to be somewhat higher because you have like less time mm. and you have less meals to get all of your nutrients. So you don't have time to eat like kale. <laughs> you have time to focus more on uh, the, you know, the nutrient-dense foods like meats and uh, tubers and berries and fruit. I like what you said there. A lot of people, you know, we found this to be true with this podcast. You know, when we hear people, you know, trying to diet and they, they didn't succeed, whether it be uh, intermittent fasting or ketogenic diet or or if it fits your macros, any diet, I think people are they're automatically thinking I need to dive right into this and I'm going to start on Monday and I'm going to do cardio for an hour and I'm going to lift for an hour and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like rock the world and I'm not going to eat carbs for a month. You know, they, they get so excited, which is great that the enthusiasm is there. But, uh, you know, I just like to reiterate and say that time, time and time again is like, get used to the food first, you know, get used to some good nutrition and good health practices in your life. Get used to, uh, what it would feel like to sleep for eight hours. You know, get yeah. used to uh, what it feels like to go outside for a 10 minute walk, get used to some uh, good, healthy fruits and vegetables and foods that just agree with you that, that you that you enjoy uh, that don't come out of a box. And, um, you know, start there. It's a great place to start. And then you can dive into listening to this particular podcast about fasting and keto and and those other things. But you got to start out with the foods first. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. You know, it's gonna be much you know easier uh, to transition into these fasting and keto, etc. But at the same time, you will also have like better health outcomes. So you know, there's actually some some reasons to believe that if you are fasting, like from a very you know unhealthy diet with a lot of you know junk, then you may potentially get like more of the detox symptoms as well, such as you know feeling nausea. Uh, getting some diarrhea or some gut problems, you know, those those may be avoided much better if you, you know, actually clear out your diet first and uh, get healthier before you try to do these things. It makes a lot of sense that a keto flu and these different things, I think people originally thought it's just from having like uh, really high ketones, but a lot of times it's just the absence of carbohydrates when you're not used to it uh, that oftentimes makes people feel bad. So I just yeah. always think that's important to... Uh, to reiterate, you know, and, and for me, um, the fasting has helped me a lot because I'm a former fat kid. I love food. And so just to like, just to free myself of not thinking about food anymore has, has helped a ton. I don't fast every day. I mix it in here and there. Um, you know, I'll do 18 hours and 20 hours and I've messed with a 48 and a 72 more recently, but, uh, freeing myself of not having to worry about those foods has helped a lot. Have you helped, have you found it's helped you, uh, be more productive with work and working out and things like that when you're just, you're just not so attached to like, when am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat? And carrying around Tupperware and things like that. Yeah, of course. Uh, those are actually one of the, my favorite benefits of fasting, you know, aside from autophagy, I, 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 I see that, uh, in my own example, I feel very more productive in a fasted state. Uh, part of the reason may have to do with like slightly higher levels of cortisol 
and higher levels of adrenaline that you experience during a fasted state, but also the pure fact that you don't have to think about your meals and you don't have to think about uh, eating at that moment, that, that itself kind of frees up your mind. And uh, I, I do most of my writing, I do most of my creative work and all the things I do related to my work in a fasted state in the morning right after waking up. So uh, I really enjoy that. And the kind of the mere fact of just kind of freeing yourself from the obligation or the responsibility of having to eat, that just opens up many like new doors in uh, being able to think and uh, being able to process things cognitively. But at the same time, I also think that if you're actually, you know, fasting and you get hungry, then that itself has like a cognitive boost. Like fasting will increase PDNF, which uh, helps with memory and helps with learning, but uh, it, it also kind of makes you more sharp. And from an evolutionary perspective, that makes a lot of sense because hunters, you know, whenever they started to get hungry, whenever they were fasting, then those moments were the most important moments where they had to get something to eat because otherwise they would either starve or like really start to fast for like uh, for longer periods of time. So yeah, like it, it, fasting should like sharpen your cognition and it should like motivate you to uh, become more efficient at, uh, you know, catching, catching game or trying to find uh, better food sources. You know, with us talking about fasting so much, I know that there are some parents out there that are like, I'm going to start fasting. I'm going to get my kids to do it too. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) I'd be scared if I had a kid, I'd be scared to have them like, you know, use intermittent fasting in any way. Would you see if that there like is any benefit in having children fast? Uh, Like obviously if they're overweight, maybe it's a good idea to get them in that type of habit. But, uh, would there be any benefit to doing that? Um, I think that children definitely don't need to fast uh, at least that long and that frequently. So there is still like some some benefit to time restricted eating, which is basically some form, which which is like a type of intermittent fasting. Uh, it's it's more like a daily 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 schedule, and uh, I would say that you know at least not teaching your teaching your children to snack that's like one of the bad things you you want to kind of teach them to follow their own hunger and uh, teach them more intuitive eating so that they wouldn't develop some eating disorder or, or they wouldn't become obese so you know parents they don't need to deliberately force their chi- child to fast but i think that they should definitely condition them to not snack and to actually like sit down to eat something and to to teach them how do you follow intuitive eating patterns you know, the snacking thing when you when you mentioned that, that's one of the biggest things that fasting's helped me with. I think I've been doing it almost two years now. And before that, I was in really good shape, but I snacked a lot. Like I'd always have like food at like at arm's length. Um and I don't snack anymore now. And it's that like it's the, the habit of fasting that's helped a lot with that. So uh that's huge. That's actually huge. You just have like a a granola bar in your back pocket <laughs> seriously <laughs> 24 man. hours a day you got a banana with you and like everything you know you always I, i'm the same way I, I was like that forever and i i'm still guilty of it but even though i fast a lot of times i'm still like well in case i get super hungry i'm gonna bring, <laughs> i'm gonna bring yeah. this with me so it's it's not an easy yeah. thing to uh break is there anything that uh we can utilize to kind of like hack the system into uh i guess uh 
lying to our body that 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 is uh, eating like a something the body maybe wouldn't even recognize as as food, but it is still food. Like, could you eat like a right. hard boiled egg or something like that and still be quote unquote fasting? Mm. Uh, well, you know, technically, that every anything that has calories will break a fast, but uh, whether or not it's going to like either kick you out of ketosis or interfere with autophagy that depends on like what's the food like and how your body's going to respond so there are a lot of like these calorie calorie um, restriction in medics that mimic the physiology of fasting a little bit by either lowering your insulin lowering your blood sugar and uh, promoting ketosis so things like even like black coffee green tea and uh, then there's things like berberine turmeric ginger uh, black pepper, cayenne pepper, those things are you know, these foods that uh, stimulate autophagy a little bit and uh, promote ketosis as well. But for actual foods that you can chew, <laughs> then for that, you, you know, there are some um, such as like uh, cruciferous vegetables. Those will be things that uh, promote autophagy a little bit and uh, they won't inherently, like to a certain extent, if you eat like, uh, you know, 100 calories of broccoli, then that's probably not going to interfere with the fast that much. It may like interfere with autophagy a little bit, but you would probably go back into it much faster than if you were to eat like an actual meal. Is there any so problems with not, is there any problems with not getting your, you know, caloric, uh, your, your calorie needs? You know, if you only eat once a day, uh, it might be mm. tough for someone to, uh, I guess, gulp down, you know, 3,000 calories or 2,800 calories or whatever their demand might right. be. In in the short term, there's not going to be like any negative side effects. You're just going to burn more body fat and you're going to lose some weight. But in the long term, if you're doing it consistently, like for several days and so several weeks, then like, like, like we talked about earlier, you're going to experience the metabolic adaptation mm. and your body will just get used to eating fewer calories. So if you're, if you're trying to lose some body fat, then like eating once a day for, you're eating only like a thousand calories for, you know, one day, then that's not going to have like any significant, like it's not going to slow down your metabolism that much if you make sure you kind of consume more calories the following day. So yeah, in the short term, there's not going to be any, diff any negative side effects if you uh, restrict your calories a lot. But if, you're co if your goal is to consistently be able to stick to that kind of a schedule, then you would might want to make sure that you pay attention to your caloric intake. So you're big on biohacking. Um, what other, I mean, obviously you utilize fasting, but what else do you do? Because I have seen on your YouTube channel, you like to go and like sauna, then immediately dump into a cold ice bath and back into a sauna. What have you found? Like what are three to five different hacking methods have you found that have helped you be more productive? Hmm. Um, well, I think that, yeah, the sauna and uh, cold exposure, those things, would, I, would, I would categorize them into the same group because I like to always do them together. And some of the benefits of them are like increased if you combine them together. So I usually stay in the sauna for like 20 minutes and then I'll do some form of like a cold plunge, either in an ice bath, in a lake or just taking like a cold shower. So the benefits of that are like, it also activates the heat shock proteins as well as the cold shock proteins, uh, both of which can also promote autophagy, but at the same time, they, they're really connected with improved cardiovascular health, uh, reduced inflammation and uh, reduced mortality from all causes as well. So I, th I think that it's, it's another one of those ancient, almost ancient practices 
that uh, we can learn from uh, like traditional societies. And I, I do them quite quite frequently. I maybe do uh, two to four times a week. I'll go to a sauna and do some cold cold plunge as well. Uh, but other things, uh, I like to use the red light therapy device as well. So I've seen that it definitely improves skin health. It uh, helps with lowering inflammation and as well as like just feeling more energized during the day. So I, I sometimes use it in the morning to kind of kick kickstart my mitochondria to start producing energy. But you, I, I've used it even in the evening where it helps me to kind of ease or kind of relax and uh, become more parasympathetic for the upcoming night. But I think one of the most important, uh, let's say, biohacks or things people should focus on is their general sleep optimization and making sure that their sleep quality is on point because... Uh, like, you know, there's so many negative side effects to sleep deprivation and even just suboptimal sleep can uh, predispose you to diabetes and weight gain and Alzheimer's down the road. So definitely sleep is is like a miracle cure that not only improves your focus, improves your productivity, but makes you healthier and uh, helps you to stay leaner. And even like the the, uh, processes of autophagy or the benefits of autophagy most of them take place during deep sleep. And uh, so, yeah, so even if you are fasting, but your sleep quality sucks, then you may potentially not get that much autophagy compared to the amount of effort you're putting in. And fasting is going to be horrendous too if you don't get enough sleep. Like every night that yeah. I don't get enough sleep, right? The next day I'm, I'm fasting, I feel like crap, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you're like, why am I so hungry? Exactly. If you get more sleep, yeah. fasting so much easier. Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, there's some research showing that people who sleep like six hours or less, they're prone to eat like 300 to 500 calories more than those who get like more sleep. So yeah, it definitely promotes like overeating as well as like insulin, mild insulin resistance. Do you stop eating a certain time before bed to help you get more sleep or do you find you can eat right before bed and not have any trouble? Uh, Yeah, I generally do try to have at least like three, three hours before uh, going to bed to stop eating. And uh, I would say that on some instances, for instance, uh, if I were to work out on that day and uh, I, ha- I didn't eat or I didn't stop eating three hours before bed, then I, my sleep quality will uh, have like a, a small dip just because, you know, I would be interfering with recovery and, and such. But on some days... If I'm not eating that much food, like the the, uh, the volume of food is small, then on those days I may, you know, even uh, eat within like two hours before bed and it's not going to interfere me at all. So it depends on like what I'm eating and what kind of foods I'm eating in, in what amounts. So generally things that are harder to digest, things that take longer to digest as well, like maybe a bunch of vegetables, a bunch of meat, those sort of things, they're going to take a longer time to digest and they may interfere with sleep quality more versus something that is very easy to digest, like some carbs or some fruit. Then those, they don't seem to have like that big of an effect either. Have you always stuck to like a, and are you still continuing to stick to a higher fat diet or do you ever mess with um, much higher carbs and moderate fat? Uh, I, don't, I don't stick to like a keto diet uh, all the time. I do it more like a cyclical approach or like a targeted approach. So I do incorporate carb re- refeeds uh, quite frequently. And uh, I, I stick to uh, like some of our low carb keto template. 
maybe like 60% of the time and 40% of the time I'm doing uh, some carbs. The only caveat is that I never want to combine carbs and keto together because that's like a recipe for insulin resistance and uh, all the other metabolic diseases that are actually so predominant in society. So it's not that carbs are bad. It's not that fat is bad. It's just that the combination and putting them together makes them both bad. (laughs) So... So that's that's why I think uh, you would either eat a low carb diet or a high carb diet, but make sure that you uh, you don't uh, combine them together. So on your higher carb day, are you just cutting back on fat a little bit? Yeah, like on a, if I'm having a carb refeed, then I'm not ha- having any additional fats. It's usually just like tubers, fruit, uh, something like that, uh, starch with, with some lean protein. Uh, like a chicken breast or white fish or something. So, yeah. And mixing a bodybuilding diet and a keto diet back and forth as per your book, right? Yeah, I would say that's that's a pretty good way of going about it. What about any cardiovascular training? You mentioned some strength training earlier. Do you any you do any form of cardio, any sort of hit or anything like that? Uh, I would say that my main, for, main form of cardio is some hit or Tabata just because of the time efficiency uh, but uh, I don't do it that frequently. I do it maybe, maybe like twice a week. I do a hit session, and uh, I may have like an actual steady state cardio for like forty-five minutes, maybe like once a week or once every other week. So I'm getting most of my cardio from hit. But sometimes, like if I'm not feeling like doing some really intense exercise, or if I if my if I see that my sleep hasn't been that good. Then I'll just do like very low intensity cardio, something. Okay. Do you um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned some strength training earlier. You mentioned progressive overload. Do you power lift? Um, uh, I don't uh, deliberate. I don't specifically do power lifting. Uh, I do maybe. I I actually focus more primarily on uh, calisthenics and uh, gymnastics exercises. So that's my main focus of trying to progress in the different uh, movement patterns like hands and push-ups, uh, muscle-ups, uh, front levers, planches, those sort of things. Uh, but I do go to the gym and I uh, lift weights like once a week or something. And th- that, will be, like, the, the, that will be the time where I do like the compound lifts like bench, squat, uh, overhead press and the deadlifts and so on. You know, go ahead. Do you know another rabbit hole other than the autophagy is uh, a lot of people talk about, and you mentioned it a little bit, the growth hormone increase when it comes to fasting. How substantial really is that uh, for like muscle gain or muscle retention? Mm. Yeah, like the growth hormone, human growth hormone isn't actually like an anabolic hormone. That's like a misconception that yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make you grow more muscles. It's more like an anti-catabolic hormone that just protects against the muscle catabolism and muscle loss. So the reason why you experience higher levels of growth hormone in a fasted state is that your body just wants to preserve more muscle and uh, protect it. So uh, yeah, in 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 an indirect way, uh, the in- increased level of growth hormone you experience in a fasted state that can help you to uh, end up with more muscle mass just because you experience like uh, less muscle breakdown during the 24-hour period. Mm. But uh, it's not like directly going to make you build muscle. You just, you, you wouldn't build muscle even if you, you know, regardless of how much growth hormone you experience in a fasted state, you're not going to still build muscle if you're not sleeping properly or you're not getting enough protein and you're not getting enough calories or you're not tra- training hard enough. Yeah. It's, it, it, 
the sleep aspect of it though is so huge because I still find that I still get a lot of comments from people or messages from individuals saying, Hey, I can't get enough sleep, but I'm doing all of this. I think Stan Efferding had a quote about it or he mentioned like, it's what stepping over pennies or what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Yeah. Stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. That's like the biggest thing. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Any tips on how to sleep uh, better? Sorry. Any tips on how to sleep better? Yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, one of the biggest reasons people have poor sleep is that they're looking at their smartphones or they're exposed to like blue light right before going to bed and in the evening. So blue light uh, coming from your laptop or your smartphone screens, that's going to interfere with the release of melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. And uh, if your melatonin is suppressed, then it's going to be much more difficult for your body to go into deep sleep and uh, experience even the health benefits uh, related related to sleep. So yeah, that's why I think wearing, you know, some form of like a blue blocking glasses or uh, even like installing these different filters, blue light filters onto your screen, that's like a huge game changer. Like I use the Aura Ring to uh, measure my sleep quality as well. And uh, I saw that uh, after starting to use like the blue light glasses, blue light uh, blocking glasses, then I saw like a 15 to 20% increase in my deep sleep just because of that. So yeah, I think that's one of the biggest kind of unknown reasons why people experience insomnia or they don't get like uh, enough deep sleep because it doesn't matter how long you sleep. What matters is the quality of the sleep and uh, how much deep and REM sleep you specifically are getting. And you said there's a blue light plugin. So it's something you can like download and it'll like block. The blue it's light even on just on your or... phone, period. Yeah, yeah. It's just on the iPhone. Yeah. Like there's, there's some uh, like factory installments on your smartphone that have the blue light filter. But I like to use uh, on Android, it's called uh, Twilight. And uh, on PC or, uh, or Mac, it's called uh, Flux. So that's, that's, it's going to start to naturally or automatically follow the circadian rhythm as well. So it's going to automatically downgrade the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the amount of uh, wavelengths you're getting from a screen. And it's going to mm-hmm. turn into like red and orange. Yeah, my phone, everyone, like when they look at it later on in the day, like, why is your phone yellow? I'm like, this is... Yeah. It's because of the setting, but yeah, I'll, I'll show you. It's the yeah. setting on there. I'll get you sleeping like a baby, buddy. Oh yeah, no, that's that's yeah. huge. I didn't know that that because I've heard a lot of the blue light stuff. I've never knew it made that much of a difference. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, for me, and at least deal. it has. Yeah. And uh, I think it, it's it, it's also like important to get like the blue light in the earlier parts of the day. Like in the morning, you want the opposite. You want to actually have the blue light uh, from preferably from natural sunlight, like the sunrise. But uh, even using like the blue light, some emitting devices, like either your smartphone or some other things that, that can also help you to offset like a proper circadian rhythm. And uh, in turn, that can facilitate a better night's sleep. Okay. How about supplements? Do you take any at all? Uh, I do. Uh, uh, you know, I think creatine is pretty, pretty damn awesome and effective. Uh, I also take like uh, some uh, digestive enzymes every once in a while. I take uh, some uh, autophagic uh, boosting compounds like milk, thistle, turmeric, uh, ginger, those sorts of things. And I also take, you know, some whey protein if I'm using some uh, protein shakes during my workouts. But 
most of my kind of focus is still on uh, high quality nutrient dense foods mm. and getting them from there. So it looks like, uh, you know, you've learned a lot of these, uh, techniques. You learned a lot about fasting and a lot about ketosis and you've written books about it. And, um, you have a, a website as well. And, um, what's kind of the goal? Like, what are you trying to do? I, I know you do speaking engagements as well, you're trying to, um, kind of monetize some of these situations and, uh, uh, you know, kind of be uh, an entrepreneur with uh, the information that you have? Uh, yeah, well, I think my goal with uh, the content that I produce is to just share a lot of the things that I have learned as well as uh, give people some, uh, you know, advice and teach them how to do these sorts of things related to biohacking specifically, like either optimizing the nutrition, optimizing uh, fasting, optimizing sleep, etc. And so far, I've been focusing a lot on writing books and creating videos and podcasts. Uh, but I also have a few uh, video courses, which uh, I'm planning on doing more uh, consistently as well. I'm, I'm planning on doing like a more, a bigger platform where people just can learn to optimize their health and uh, use these kind of, you know, biohacks, as, as good as a word it is, to uh, live a better and a healthier life. You know, did your, cause you went to school and you got a degree in anthropology. Did that help out what you're doing right now? Or is what you're doing right now contrast with what you got your degree in? Uh, yeah, I did, uh, learn like cultural, cultural anthropology in college, which isn't like directly connected with, you know, the human physiology and biology, but it's still taught me a lot about uh, especially how to think better, how to have critical thinking and also notice uh, some aspects of human psychology in different cultures and different societies. So I think it was definitely like a, like well, well worth it, uh, but I'm not using it like actively as a, as a, as a means of earning my living. But yeah. I would say it was a good period of period in my life where I learned more about myself and, uh, more about uh, the human being or the human physiology in, yeah. in total. You know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the cultural aspect of it because, you know, my Nigerian background uh, over there and even with a lot of the ones over here, they do a lot of fasting as it is because of like the religious beliefs. So they'll fast multiple times mm -hmm. per week, not for dietary benefits, but just because like we just, you know, you just don't eat for a period of time when you're deep in prayer. And a lot of other cultures do this, but it's like... Uh, American society, if you fast, it's, it's kind of weird for you not to eat. Is it there like where, you, like where you're from in Estonia? Is fasting weird or is it just something that also people do somewhat? Uh, yeah, you're totally right that the idea of fasting being either dangerous or crazy, it, it's, it's not that fasting actually is crazy. It's, it's a matter of the cultural context in which it is you know, practiced. So uh, in, in these ancient cultures or these... Uh, Eastern cultures, even fasting there is pretty normal and people don't frown upon it. But yeah, in, in the Western society of eating very frequently, just people have been conditioned by mainstream nutrition advice and uh, the years of, uh, you know, years of eating all the time. That's, that's just made people wary about fasting. Uh, but in Estonia, I would say that most people aren't doing intermittent fasting that much and uh, they are still quite skeptical about it so but you know it's it's changing I, th I feel and i see that you know these different ways of in fasting etc et they will become more uh, popular within the next coming years 
and people whether or not it's gonna be you know whether or not people are gonna stick to it all the time that's I, I don't think that all people will be eating omad one meal a day and they're not gonna be doing like these longer fasts all the time i think just their mindset about it will change a little bit and they'll see that okay it's not as bad or it's not as crazy as we once thought has uh america got their claws into you guys yet like are people starting to get fat where you guys live (laughs) (laughs) well we do have like mcdonald's and uh, these burger joints but uh, i think the average estonian isn't that overweight as the average american (laughs) luckily because (laughs) because we still have like more we 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 have like um, more physical labor probably and we have more time or more reasons to stay physically active uh, throughout the day like uh, either commuting with on foot uh, or you know taking a bicycle or just spending time gardening or, or something else what's your favorite food regardless of diet <laughs> mm. uh i think I would say maybe probably like some just eggs. I'm a huge fan of eggs and not not because of the nutritional content, but also like because of the taste. So they taste good and they're really nutritious. Yeah. I I eat eggs probably every day almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, there's so many different ways to eat them. I've been eating them poached lately. That's, that's been really good. But I usually do that like at a restaurant, you know, because I'm not, I don't know how to poach them at at home. (laughs) I can't figure it out. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what's uh, what are some favorite things uh, that you like to do? You like uh, you watch TV, movies, uh, anything like that? Uh, I did watch uh, John Wick three the other day, uh, mm. but I don't like watch TV that often. So I I may only watch like a few of the more, more popular movies, like the Avengers or something like that. But uh, most of the time, I get like a lot of enjoyment from just you know reading books and uh spending time with family and and working out and you know going going to these different events where you meet like similar mind mind minded people do you feel like if you uh watch tv or like if you're doing something that's uh not kind of towards your goal do you feel like you're wasting your time (laughs) well sometimes yeah definitely like (laughs) it depends on depends on uh it depends on uh, whether or not you have something else to do like uh, if you feel that you should be doing something else and you actually have something else to do, <laughs> then you're probably just, you know, wasting time and procrastinating. Uh, but if you don't have like a specific deadline or a goal or you didn't, you know, uh, you know, procrastinate during the day and you're then trying to relax, then I, then I don't really feel bad about it. As long as I get my like daily to-do list done, then... I'm really, you know, I'm really uh, into re- relaxing and just chilling. I think it's actually very important to um, take the, take the time every day where you're, you know, taking the uh, the foot off the pedal, so to say, and you're not <laughs> in the hustle mode. You know, other than fasting and sleeping, because we've talked about that, you like you've done a lot. You've written a lot of books. You're extremely productive in terms of the content you put on on YouTube. And I think a lot of individuals would be curious on like maybe three other habits outside of fasting and sleeping that allow you to be as productive as you currently are. Uh, three, you said three or five. If you, if you have more, that's okay. fine. <laughs> um, I think uh, some form of uh, meditation or some mindfulness practice will be pretty, pretty effective because meditation is like a meta skill. It, it, it improves everything else you're going to do. Like just because of the fact that you'll be able to concentrate better, you'll have self-control and you 
start to observe your own behavior much better. So meditation is is one of the things that I've also been doing for up to like yeah, seven to six years, something like that. And uh, every time I notice that I don't meditate, then I notice that uh, my kind of productivity tends to suffer a little bit, or I just have like less clarity about what I need to do. Because meditation also helps you to clarify what are your goals and uh, what kind of activities you need to do to achieve those goals. Uh, secondly, I would say some form of like a journaling practice would be really good. Uh, just writing things down that helps you to, again, become more clear about the things you need to do, as well as uh, project your own ideas onto a piece of paper. That would be helpful for uh, understanding yourself better. Uh, what I do is in the evenings, I tend to write out like some some of the things that I did good that day, where did I succeed? And some of the things that I did bad, like where did I fail and where can I improve the next day? So it's not like uh, it's not like uh, judging myself. It's just self-observation and self-criticism. And I also write out what I need to do the next day, next the next day, like the three three most important things that uh, I'm going to do uh, after waking up. So it's always always gonna set myself into motion. And uh, probably the last thing would be to mm, I would say that trying to practice some form of speaking or something like a public speaking. It's, it's a very common fear people have, but I've seen like a huge improvement in personal development and just being able to overcome your own fears more frequently and kind of teaching yourself to face fears more often. I wish I had my shit together when I was that young. Me too. <laughs> How old are you? Uh, I'm 24. Damn. Yeah. Lord Jesus. I wish I had my shit together that much right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think I've just the, the one, in hindsight I can say that one of the reasons I have made maybe like some progress is that I've just made kind of this decision that I'm going to learn from the mistakes of others instead of having to go through those mistakes myself. So it's like accelerated learning. I don't have to fail. I just look at what other people fail at and I'll just avoid the mistakes. That's actually a great, uh, a lot of people are, a lot of people are focused on what other successful people are doing and you're doing something a little different by focusing in on, uh, you know, not following down the same road as a bunch of losers, basically, yep. right? People mm -hmm. that, people that aren't figuring out how to win. That's a, that's a great way of uh, looking at it. Anything uh, coming up, any speaking engagements, or are you going to be in the States anytime soon or what you got going on coming up? Uh, well, the next time I'm going to be in the States is probably in like August or something, but uh, speaking, there's going to be a few bigger speaking events that I'll go through this year. Is gonna In September, it's the Health Optimization Summit in London with many of the uh, leading experts and leading influencers in uh, biohacking and health optimization. Uh, but there's also going to be uh, another event in November at the Biohacker Summit in Helsinki, which is also focused a lot on uh, you know more the technology side as well as like the cutting edge biohacks and this year's theme is specifically about the circadian rhythms and optimizing your like 24-hour period yeah they're about to have like no food at those events <laughs> <laughs> no they're actually like uh, there's really uh, amazing uh, like uh, vip dinners before that so uh, people and all the speakers they come together the night before and uh, they cook their own food with all these highest quality ingredients like wow. 
a few years ago at the Biohacker Summit, we had like uh, reindeer bone broth. <laughs> we had uh, local fish and uh, fire ants with chocolate <laughs> and those sorts of things. So it's like really good quality nutrition and it's like keto, low carb friendly, friendly uh, vegan options, etc. So fire really ants. Good stuff. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> wow. I, I picture uh, everybody just like waiting for the first person to eat and then everyone's like, ah, you <laughs> fell for it. We were supposed to be fasting. Anyway, man, great having you on the show. Appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah, well, on all the social media platforms, it's Seam Lund. And uh, the book that we talked about is also Metabolic Autophagy uh, on Amazon. And uh, it's the author is Seam Lund. There you go. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Mamu. Have a great day. All right. Hell yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that guy's awesome. He has uh, his YouTube channel, though. Uh, a lot of great everyone, information. Yeah, everyone should check that channel out because no, he has hundreds of videos up. A lot of like, and he goes deep on autophagy, deep on all, like a lot of different they're pretty topics. pretty simple, to too. Yeah, they're short. They're simple. He yeah. gets to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush. Well, I think, stuff. I think, you know, there's there's probably a lot of people that listen to this and they're like, I don't really care about like longevity. You know, I don't really care about my cells and what's going on with all that. Yeah. Um, it's good just to know some of that stuff. But in the end, I think most of us are just trying to get more jacked. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these principles can help you get more jacked. And if you're really worried about, you know, the can fasting be like detrimental, just try it out for a while. Try, you know, try some of the smaller fasts and, and work your way into it. But I mean, if you're just to think about it from a logical standpoint, most of us who train like to eat. And so fasting can really make some sense because you get to have more food when it's time to eat, mm -hmm. which can feel really good to you. So even if you, even if you're more of uh, someone who likes bodybuilding <clears throat> style diets and stuff like that, you can miss a meal or two and load up a little bit more on the, on the previous meal or on the meals later in the day or on the meals surrounding your workouts or something like that. And like a big thing is that I think the bigger thing is that it can help your food habits. Like I'm always still surprised yeah, about the snacking thing is a big one. Yeah. I'm, I'm always so surprised about how, um, how my cravings changed. Like I never would have expected that I'd be craving the foods that I crave now. And like, I, I don't eat trash foods most of the time. I don't feel like I need to. So even if you are like super active, you're a powerlifter, you're a bodybuilder, right? Um, at the end of the day, you still are looking to be along with being jacked. You do want to be healthy and you do want to have healthy habits. And this can definitely trend you in that direction without you losing muscle, without you losing strength. It's not really big, a big loss there. I think we care enough about lifting to, I think everyone cares enough about their lifting to at least make sure that they're getting some of the requirements that they need. So mm -hmm. yeah, like a lot of, a lot of lifters uh, and even aesthetic athletes and stuff, they, they might want to finish the day off with a ice cream or something like that, but you're probably going to be less likely to do some of that. And also if you do that, you'll cause less damage if you're, if you're doing some fasting Yeah. and the food that you're going to want to start out with though, is probably going to be a steak. You're probably going to want a steak maybe a potato or something like that. And then if you had dessert again, it will be uh, less insulting to your metabolism because you didn't have as many calories throughout the entire day. Just a little bit of sugar, a little bit of carbohydrates, maybe yeah. it won't kill you. But if you're eating all day and the ice cream goes towards a caloric surplus, well now, you know, you might be kind of covering up uh, some of those gains that you were hoping to get. Mm -hmm. I love how the, <laughs> the use of the word less insulting to your <laughs> diet like that, that makes you really think about that a little bit. 
yeah, your metabolism's mad at you. Your body's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Trying to, trying to screw me up. But yeah, fasting's done the same thing for me. It's, it's made me hungrier for the stuff that I need. And there's just so many different ways of doing this. I know some people that will eat in the morning and they won't eat again for like six or seven hours. To me, that's still a form of fasting. It is. That's still a way, that's still a way of doing it. Um, and he mentioned he feels it's superior to be in a ketogenic state, uh, kind of going into it. But I don't think there's really a lot of evidence on that. He's just saying like, uh, from the autophagy standpoint that you could more, could be more likely to produce more because of, uh, some of the results he saw with the glucose and ketones, your glucose is lower, the more ketones that you have in talking to Dominic D'Agostino, who's somebody who actually is in a lab, like studying this stuff. He said, it doesn't really matter too much, you know, he, and you're going to have different opinions from different people, but just do it your own way. Try it your own way. Don't, don't try to like, don't make it any harder than it already is. It's already difficult. So, you know, I always just tell people, most people can do a 12 hour fast so easy. Yeah. And imagine if you did a 12 hour fast two days in a row, that's 24 hours of fasting. Not the same as going 24 hours without food. But if you do that um, six days a week, that's three days of fasting that you just did. And maybe uh, it's something that you're normally not getting. And it's probably just a little extension of what you're already doing because you're probably sleeping for seven or eight hours. So mm -hmm. it's just a matter of <clears throat> maybe not eating uh, an hour or two before you go to bed and uh, not eating a few hours uh, you know, once you start your day. Yeah. Just, easy. It just build it up. It's literally like that. Like, I mean, you mentioned a lot of people when they get into these types of diets, they want to dive in. They want to start doing 24 hour fasts. Um, starting on Monday, bro. Yeah. They want to like, see, you'll see, you see me. You're going to see, <laughs> I'm going to start on Monday, bro. You laugh now, but just wait. Oh no, you won't be laughing anymore. Mm -hmm. Not after we see what me and Andrew are about to do, yeah. bro. Yeah. By Tuesday, you won't even recognize me. Yeah. Monday. Start on Monday. Monday. going to crush it. I have this bad habit of like kind of <laughs> believing you guys when you guys start going on these tangents. And I almost, I, I, I almost thought, thought you guys were doing something there, but all right, let, let, let's back off. Um, <laughs> I'm too damn gullible. He's like, what am I going to start? What? What's going and, on yeah. guys? <laughs> Can I be involved? Oh, no. Man. Two jacks. Yeah. What do you got coming up, buddy? It's getting to be uh showtime here, right? Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Worlds. Worlds comes up on Thursday. Oh yeah. The matches the, the time for the matches mm -hmm. are up. I'm gonna be competing at one thirty, I think's uh oh. my first match. So cool. everything's there. It's Thursday. On Thursday, right? On Thursday. Sick. And yeah. we're not supposed to talk about how you you found out a way to uh shoot fireballs at people. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna see that on the first match. Okay, they're gonna know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let, let's just keep that quiet. But man, mm -hmm. I'm excited. It's uh it's a big bracket, 24 guys. So there's two different brackets. Um, yeah, there's. Is I, it a little bit like lifting? Like where like you're training and training and training and the training's intentionally like kicking your ass and you're like, man, I don't know if I got much left. Like it's just, you know how it is like a lot of times going into a power to meet like, man, like I'm really getting my ass kicked here. And then you have a little bit of um, like not time off, but you relax a little bit going into the show type of deal. Um. I don't know if I relax like so with powerlifting, you know, before me, like a quote unquote deload is there exactly. anything like that. Um, I think I'm backing off of uh, like like intense lifting a little bit more this week. Um, but my training is still my training has been intense. You have to be fast, right? It's important that you're at your fastest. I would imagine that that's probably one of the most important things, right? You got to be quick. Yeah, that and um, the 
the, the similarity to powerlifting is that I tune into my game more. So when I'm outside, I'm like a few months out from competition, I'm going to work on a lot of things that I don't usually do. A lot of things that drills are, and exactly different like, holds and different holds, different types of guards, that, weaknesses, exactly that aren't in my game. And then probably like a month to like a month to two months out is when I'll just start doing my game on literally everybody going into what I typically do and not going outside of that box. Because when you compete, like, I like to, someone mentioned this to me when I was rolling with them a few weeks ago. Uh, he was like, I hate rolling with you because you pull me into your matrix. Like I can't end up in your matrix. And it's just because I go directly into the game I want to play, not into what my opponent wants to do. And when I'm getting ready for competition, that's what I do. And like when I'm sparring with people, I go directly to my game and I don't waste time doing anything else. Mm. So it's just like powerlifting. You start focusing on your big three, you take out your, you know, close grip bench press and overhead press and all this crap and you focus on what you're going to compete on. Same thing with this. So I've been really just like focusing on my game this past month and just going straight to that because that's what I'm going to do when I compete. So, uh, I'm excited for you, man. I'm going to watch it. And, uh, if anybody messes with you too much, I'll probably run in there and hit him with a chair or something. Yeah, just just run in. Pro wrestling style. You're going to you know? be yelling at the at the ref. Yeah. I'm like, what are you blind? Yeah, just come making on, a ref. big old scene. That was easily a three-pointer. Yeah. Let's bring the slingshot hammer, you know, just hold it on the side just like <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> and just be waiting. I don't think anybody would be scared of me at this thing. I, I got a feeling. <laughs> I got a feeling like uh, everyone's yeah. just like, oh my God, I could tie that guy up in two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if I can't, then he would be tired in 10 seconds, you know? Yeah, yeah. The big guys, they want to pick on us, man. Yeah, it's, it's not fair. You, you, I think you'll enjoy watching a lot of the uh, a lot of the matches because you'll be seeing all the other matches. I have matches not seen a on. lot of jujitsu. Yeah, you will. You will on I Thursday. I haven't man. seen a lot. I haven't seen a lot of like high level competitive jujitsu like that. So I'm, yeah, I'm excited about it. Any weird rules I should be aware of? Anything like weird, you know, that, that happens during the matches, or is it pretty straightforward? Um, you mean for like me or yeah, just period weird rules? Uh, like let's just like like um. Uh, people that are attending like they can't walk a, over a certain line or something <laughs> don't, or like don't don't touch people like you usually do i'll just say that just keep your hands to yourself because I, I know how handsy you can be uh-huh. so just he keep your hands be. to yourself yeah um, somebody just put me right in the arm right yeah <laughs> you, like you don't tap somebody on the shoulder and they'll you know yeah pull you in <laughs> put me right on the ground choke yeah. me out but wow. the atmosphere man when i went to worlds last year that atmosphere is insane you got people from a bunch of different countries the stadiums filled up like it's crazy is it pretty tense it's tense it gets loud too because when when the matches are going everyone has their coaches there they have their teams there everyone's screaming like it's crazy it's 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 high energy that's cool i'm excited how about like filming or anything like that because i know they have their they have people they have their their guys that film but they i've never like i filmed my world's loss last year they didn't have my problem a problem with my girlfriend having a camera so like Hmm. you can you can bring that stuff in um although i think I think I had to like sneak my camera in or the lady was like, just put it in your backpack so we don't see it. Right, right. And right. then I then I was able to take it in. So you All just right. gotta keep your stuff. Cool. Strength is never a weakness, weakness is never strength. Catch you guys later. <laughs>